Hello, everybody, and welcome to Theoretical Museology in U.S. and Tribal Contexts. This is a symposium held in collaboration with the International Committee for Museology, a.k.a. ICAFOM, the International Council of Museums, a.k.a. ICOM, U.S., the Association of African American Museums, or AAAM, and Southern New Hampshire University, SNHU. Those are a lot of acronyms that we'll be throwing around throughout the day, so hopefully we can keep those all straight. Mm -hmm. I am Rob Denning. I am the Associate Dean for Liberal Arts at Southern New Hampshire University, where I oversee the undergraduate and graduate history degree programs. Joining me in hosting duties today and tomorrow is Susie Chung, who teaches in our graduate level public history concentration and is a seemingly tireless member of ICAFOM. Susie, would you like to introduce yourself quickly? Welcome, everyone. I'm Yansan Susie Chung. I go by Susie in English and Yansan in Korean. I'm team lead and adjunct faculty at Southern New Hampshire University and an ICAFOM board member. We're very pleased to partner with the International Committee for Museology, International Council of Museums of the United States, Association of African American Museums, and Southern New Hampshire University to organize the second online symposium. Yes, thank you. And before we get started, I just want to thank all of the presenters who agreed to spend time with us today and tomorrow, despite everything that's going on in the world lately, and despite the time zones. Poor Supriyo Chandra, who's going to join us later, is contacting us, even though it's the middle of the night there in Calcutta. Mm -hmm. I'd also like to thank the Liberal Arts Department, the Center for Online Learning and Teaching, and the Marketing Department at SNHU for providing various resources for this. Thanks, of course, to ICAFOM, ICOM, and, and AAAM for their support. Thanks most of all to the person you just heard from, Susie Chung, who just introduced herself, and who proposed the initial concept, identified and tracked down potential presenters, drafted the call for papers, the program schedule, and all of the hundreds of emails that were involved with all of this, and generally held everything together while I was distracted by various admin-type crises. Some of them are COVID-related and some of them were not. So thank you, Susie, and to all those other, the various other organizations and departments that helped to uh, support this. As Susie said, this is the second ICAFARM-related symposium that we've been involved with and that I've been involved with. Two years ago, SNHU hosted a meeting where we participated in ICAFOM's worldwide discussion about the redefinition of the word museum for the 21st century. As I mentioned at that meeting, I was new to the museology field at that point. I had never taken any coursework on or worked for any museums. And the preparation for that symposium was a very fast but immersive introduction to the field for me. The, the big takeaways from that experience for me were that first, museology is a relatively young field with serious study of the theories and practicality of museums becoming a concern to scholars only in recent decades. Second, museums have been undergoing a dramatic transformation in these same recent decades as <clears throat> to become more experimental, more community oriented, more inclusive, more interested in narratives and themes and more engaging for their visitors. Third, museums are becoming more activist in their programming and more forcefully advocating for the interests of their local communities. While that crash course in Museology 101 did not make me an expert in the field, it did prompt me to pay more attention to the theories and practices of museums afterward. Every time I go to a museum now, I find myself paying more attention to the list of upcoming events, the amount of space dedicated to community gatherings, and even the number of benches scattered throughout where visitors can rest and contemplate. That last part about benches 
came from a conversation with Ann Davis, who made it almost as a side comment, but it, it stuck with me. I'm always looking for the number of placement, the number and placement of benches now. I live in a relatively small suburb of Columbus, Ohio, and our town museum has not embraced these trends or benches as much as I expect them to in the future. Thankfully, there are lots of benches at places like the amazing National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, DC. But beyond benches, I also find myself paying more attention to museums, wayfinding systems, the placement and content of plaques for exhibits, and how well the museum tells the story of the community. It feels kind of strange to talk about museums during the coronavirus pandemic. Many institutions are closed to the public or closed completely. My hope is that people around the world are using this break, if you want to call it that, to think about how various industries and organizations can work differently in the future. And since they are freed from the hustle and bustle of everyday operations, I look forward to seeing how our world has changed, hopefully for the better, after the pandemic has passed and, and we can all get back to work. I think this is a chance for decision makers, curators, and other museum personnel to put into action the ideas that have been bouncing around for years. So today we're gonna to talk about those ideas. For the next two days, a bunch of amazing scholars are going to discuss the state of museology from practical and theoretical perspectives. Although our focus is on the United States and North America, we will hear from 15 scholars representing five continents, all of whom have diverse research interests but care deeply about the future of museum studies in the United States and around the world. So you've probably seen the program already, uh, but just to get everybody excited about what is to come, uh, let's take a quick jaunt through the agenda. In just a few minutes, we're going to hear from our first two keynote speakers, Bruno Brulon Suarez and Jesse Riker Crawford, who are going to talk much more eloquently than I can about the theories and the practices of museology in general. Then after lunch, we will hear from our first panel who will talk in more detail and in more concrete examples about teaching and understand museology from the theoretical and practical perspectives. Uh, Supriyo Chandra will, will moderate that panel and we will hear from Victoria Miller, Claudia Ankra, and uh, Susie Chung, who we just met a few minutes ago. Now, before we start the program, I'd like to go over some housekeeping matters. As you all can see, we're obviously holding this completely online, but we're gonna to try to make this as lifelike and normal as possible. Each speaker will be on video. Some will have slide decks, some will not. Uh, during the presentations, I will disable uh, microphones for the audience and the chat box at the bottom corner of the screen, the bottom right corner. But I will reopen those during the breaks and during the question and answer sessions after each panel. In order to preserve bandwidth, I request that everybody except the speaker keep their webcams off and please mute your microphones when they are enabled and you're not speaking to limit the amount of background noise for the rest of us. One advantage of doing this during the era of COVID-19 is that I think we're all used to video conferencing at this point and are aware of the etiquette involved. As I mentioned before, I am recording the video stream here and I will post the URL for the recordings to the symposium webpage in the next week or so. The web link uh, that you use to get to this meeting will be open throughout the symposium. So if you need to leave, you can click the red X up at the top of the screen to close this window. And then you can just rejoin the meeting by clicking that same link again and you'll come right back in and you'll enter um, wherever we are. 
And then, like I said, later, if you want to watch the recordings, we will have videos posted online. Okay, I think that is everything. Uh, we are just about ready to go. In just a minute, we're going to hear from uh, Bruno. So uh, get comfy, and I'm going to reset the slide deck for Bruno, and we will get started. Thank you. Looks like we are about ready to go here. It is 11 o'clock, so let's let's hear from Bruno. So our first keynote speaker today is Bruno Brulon Suarez. Bruno is the professor of museology at the Federal University of the State of Rio de Janeiro in the postgraduate program in museum and heritage museology and heritage in Brazil. Between 2014 and 2018, he was the coordinator of the course of museology at the university, and currently he coordinates the research group Experimental Museology and Image. In 2013, he became the vice chair of the International Committee for Museology, and, in, and between 2014 and 2019, he coordinated the History of Museology Project, a collaboration between ICAFOM, the University of Rio de Janeiro, and several other universities around the world. He is currently the chair of ICAFOM. Today, Bruno is going to present Theoretical Museology and Community Practice, a Post-Colonial Approach. Bruno, thank you so much for joining us today. And you can start your video and open your microphone, Bruno. Hi, Rob. Can you see me and hear me? I can hear you, but I don't see you yet. Okay. Okay, here we go. Perfect. Okay. okay, I'm going to go off video and uh, Bruno, take it away. Thank you. Hello, everyone. First of all, I have to say it's very nice to, to be here with you today to see many, many friends uh, joining this meeting. This is a very special moment for us in ICOFOM. This is our first, first symposium um, of the year and the first one with digital format. Um, this is not our first digital format symposium in history. We had one last year also organized by Suzy. And luckily, uh, Suzy started preparing this symposium last year also. Um, so it's not really because of COVID pandemic. It's, it was already going to happen, but it became sort of our annual symposium because of the current situation. So I would like to... Um, start by saying that I'm very much thankful to Susie Chung and Robert Denning for organizing this uh, symposium 
for such a well organization and I'm sure we're going to have wonderful two days of discussions and very stimulating debates. So my presentation will be an attempt to start this debate and sort of to point some questions and uh, points of discussion for us to explore further in the following two days. Um, it deals with theoretical museology, but I'm not here to speak uh, about theoretical museology from the point of view of ICOFOM or to make a propaganda of our work. Actually, I'm going to be challenging theoretical museology from the perspective of community practices, basing myself mostly in the practices I observe and study and work with in Brazil, in the Brazilian context where my I have developed my professional career. So it, it will be a post-colonial approach to theoretical museology with some points that maybe can be further explored in uh, the debates of these two days of symposium. Saying that, um, I would like to start saying that uh, from my observation point of view, we could state that something overflows the museum and defends the museum experience in its social dimension in the present. And I know we can observe this overflowing of experiences in Brazil, but also in so many other contexts of the world. In a way, the museum that we know and that we have inherited from European modernity is no longer the same, neither it represents the same subjects. Since the past two decades, when the 21st century has reframed the heritage regimes according to the social claims from community groups, the museum is no longer exclusively defined in terms of the expert, nor by the hegemonic discourse of nation states. Today, as a result of negotiations involving the political uses of cultural heritage, the museum device is appropriated by these social groups that dispute the representation of their identities in this potent arena in which the legacies from the past are reconfigured in the present. When ICOFOM was created in 1977, it was the result of a long-standing need to develop specific concepts and to normalize knowledge in the museum field that was so far gathered within ICOM. The circulation of ideas and of professionals who produce them would lead to a necessity for the standardization of museum concepts and rules, developing what we call normalized museology. Of course, not all concepts can be approached in universal terms, as the museum definition debate since last year has proven us. And after several decades since the development of the first theories for museums in the world, now we realize that museology is a cross-cultural discipline and its theories and methods should not be exclusively defined by the experts. So for this reason, I would start showing you this space, which is a space where I have learned a lot about museology. This is Aterreiro de Candomblé in Brazil, which is a religious, space in Recife known as Sítio de Paiadão. Uh, Aterreiro, which is part of Afro-diasporic Afro tradition of Candomblé in my country, even though it is a sacred space for the community, it is also in many ways a museum. And in, this is the image of the man who actually is the biggest uh, religious leadership, the Babalodixá, Manuel Papai, who leads 
this uh, Terreiro since the 1970s, uh, a man who is so connected to the Nago tradition from Africa that he himself is considered part of the Brazilian cultural heritage. And here you can see uh, a masterclass that has been done by him. Uh, I would say a masterclass of experimental museology to my students last year when I visited the Terreiro to learn about museology, memory, cultural heritage, and religious from this incredible master. I would, he is what I would consider an experimental museologist, even though he doesn't have a professional degree. So, in an attempt to subvert the role commonly played by communities as objects of interest for the social scientists, this presentation aims to show a post-colonial approach to museology. But first and foremost, I would consider that the challenge of redefining a museology for the communities or by the communities involves putting into question the very categories that have founded a museum in European modernity, which, which are, among others, the authentic, the rare, the unique, invested in material collections. In order to open the museum for categories that are less Eurocentric and less attached to the hegemonic culture of bourgeois class, it is necessary to consider opening the discussion to other kinds of knowledge and practices conducted by social groups outside of the scope of normative museology. Here is another example um, of community knowledge applied to museum practices. This is Museu da Maré, muse another museum in Brazil, now in Rio de Janeiro, uh, which is a social museum in the periphery of the city. Uh, where the whole exhibition that was developed since the beginning of the years 2000 uh, show how time is shared and represented in uh, this community, considering the landmarks that define a shared identity for the community living in the favela. So the exhibition will be divided in time of the home, time of resistance, time of festivity, time of faith, time of children, time of fear, time to make a museum, which is somehow um, what is, has inspired me to divide my presentation in different times of museology that are not related to any kind of chronology, but that actually show the different aspects that we should consider when thinking about community practices and community museology. So inspired by this conception of time that has been used by community museums in Brazil, since the 70s, actually, to define their own temporalities and histories, I'll propose to look at museum practice in its own times, or phases of existence along the years when museology was defined as a body of theories that can serve to different contexts where the museum is constantly being reinvented. These community-based museologies involve various social actors, among which community leaders, activists, indigenous people, religious leaders, housewives, agents of the state, experts, etc. In their own complexity, these practices have provoked a museum explosion, which is the explosion of the modern museum, currently context contested by colonial experiences. But in fact, we should ask, 
how have we reached this time of apparent autonomy for communities in museum practice? First, I would evoke a time for politics in museology. In the end of the 20th century, the claims for community-based museums as a method for decolonizing museology were incorporated in the French movement of new museology, Nouvelle Museologie, in the 70s and 80s, partially based on the invention of uh, the Eco-Museum as a community-based prototype for local development by icon director Hugues de Varin. Um, this conception of a post-colonial turn in the museum world have its roots in a political event involving the participation of several nation-states in 1972 in the Round Table of Santiago de Chile, where the concept of an integral museum was proposed as a new paradigm for Latin American societies. The museum was going to be understood as an instrument for social transformation concerned with the problems of the communities it serves. So the community was already an object of interest of museologists. But despite its relevance for Latin American countries and museologists, the notion of an integral museum or a museum integrated to societies was going to be reinterpreted in Vahim's concept of the Eco Museum, which was proposed in 1971, but it was only defined in the French practices that adopted this label after 1973. This prototype of a community eco-museum, the anti-museum, museum without walls, without collections, and without visitors, based on a territory and a population, according to Vahim's definitions, was going to serve as a tool for social and economic recomposition of communities based on a discourse of cultural democracy, first forged in Europe to suit other contexts of the world. Also, as the Declaration of Quebec from 1984 would state, new museology is first and foremost concerned with the development of populations reflecting the modern principles that have driven their evolution while simultaneously associating them to projects of the future. As we can see, the paternalist attitude towards community-based museums was explicitly inspired by the evolutionist principle that defined development as a goal to be achieved by underdeveloped populations. As a result of this international statement, in some contexts of the world, such as South America, new museology and eco-museology would transpose a hierarchy of power based on the centrality of the developmentalist state in relation to some experimental practices outside of the scope of traditional museology, which means in the periphery of the established museum field. We defend that such a hierarchy helped to create a museum marginality in the global order, defining experiences around the world between those of developed countries, where rich collections are supposed to be kept by rich institutions, and the experience of museums in the underdeveloped periphery where community museologies would flourish. And this is the case still today. One other aspect of this museum marginality would also be defined by the theoretical production. 
sustained by a global division of labor that runs through the history of modern science and according to a political economy of knowledge, the post-colonial periphery is attached to its role to supply data and later to apply knowledge in the form of technology and method. On the other side of the same coin, the role of the metropolis is to collate and process the collected data, producing theory and methodology and developing applications which are later exported and consumed by the periphery. We have stated before that museology has been colonized in theory and it is now our responsibility as theorists to denounce and subvert coloniality of knowledge by including other voices and contesting our established predetermined conceptions. As you can see, many publications on new museology have been produced in Europe and circulated throughout the world, specifically uh, being very having a lot of resonance in context in the context of countries in the global south. So we could we should in this in this reflexive analysis also consider the time of the experts. A new conception of the so-called post-colonial museum perceived in these terms in the minds of European experts since the 80s and the 90s, 90s helped to narrate the world of museums in terms of new and old practices. In 1978, uh, Hugues de Varin defined the difference between the traditional museum and the community museum by comparing their main characteristics in his triptych scheme. This is a very well-known scheme uh, and a founding pillar for new museology, according to which, uh, as you know, the building in the traditional museum was going to be replaced by the territory in the supposed new museum. The collection was going to be replaced by the heritage in the sense of a living heritage in this territory. And also the audience or the public was going to be replaced by the population. This scheme, of course, uh, very much disseminated, had in, in its center the community experience. However, it also reproduced an old uh, Cartesian separation between subject and object, or between man and reality, which is in the core of theoretical museology. As a result of the global division of labor, according to Aaron Connell, the attitude of intellectuals in the periphery is one of extraversion, constantly being oriented to sources of authority outside their own society. This is a consequence of the coloniality of knowledge. So in this sense, coming from a sociological base, as well as Vahim, the Brazilian museologist Valdiza Rússio would propose some ideas that are somehow also based in the separation between man and reality. Uh, her ideas can be seen today as one of the pillars of social museology in Brazil. In fact, the notion of the museum fact was to be compared by the triptych scheme proposed by Yves de Varim, which permeated museological thinking in a profound way throughout the 80s, and it was the basis of new museology during this decade. In a comparative framework, it is possible to see a parallel with Varim's ideas. In this sense, museologists, like other social scientists, have defined their own 
subject of study as the expression of a specific relation of man to reality. And here I quote Fransky, who is considered in Europe and also in Brazil the founding father of theoretical museology. In our case, this subject of study involves the museum or the active process known as musealization. As an act of assigning value to things, musealization is also a political act that has been critically studied in reflexive approaches. Who musealizes whom? What authority determines the criteria for musealization? Can the subalterns musealize themselves? These are some of the founding questions of a reflexive and post-colonial museology that are in the core of the process of self-musealization implemented by social groups in community museums. Today, we have a large production of texts discussing the relation between museums and communities. As most of you know well, we have books or journal, special issues of journals since the 1980s, like the two cases that I show here from uh, Icophone, we have books that have been considered classical discussions on theoretical museology regarding community museums, like Museums and Communities by Ivan Kart. And we have more recent publications and special issues that discuss community museums and local development, for instance. In fact, a close analysis of these books leads to the conclusion that the work of museologists in other or, or other cultural experts sometimes generates the objectification of an imagined other from the presupposition of the community as an entity living outside of the time of the researcher, untouched by modernity and in the name of which the expert may freely speak. This later will express a kind of institutional paternalism that is typical to professionals who refer to my eco-museum or to the community of that researcher. Such an institutional paternalism reproduced by scholars as well as inside the studied groups reifies vertical relations in which power and knowledge work to together to ratify the authority of the scientist. In this sense, the figure of the expert, the bearer of an authorized academic knowledge, is often referential to the legitimation or naturalization of an official and hegemonic discourse within the group. So in this sense, we should consider also a time of the communities. How does communities, uh, in fact, define themselves in museological terms? Community museums have shown that the reflection on continuity is far from being exclusive of the experts or of the state. In this sense, we have learned a lot from these experiences. Today, we witness the appropriation of museums and cultural heritage by social actors that use the authorized vocabulary and the categories and theoretical frameworks of the experts in simplifying and sometimes politicized discourse. Communities and specific social groups in the periphery of the hegemonic museum are now empowered by their own instruments and methodologies to conceive the permanence of the past and the objectification of culture in their own terms. In Brazil, coming back to our example in the beginning, 
new museology has had great resonance both in the academic sphere and later among the social groups under the influence of specialists to create their museums. The dissemination of the preconized ideas was so eloquent in a favorable political scenario for democratization that we have witnessed in the years 2000 the implementation of public policies oriented to the so-called social museums. This is a case of a Ponto de Memória Museum. Uh, the Museu da Maré was actually the first uh, memory spot, which was part of a public policy in Brazil in the government from the early uh, years 2000. Here we have another uh, memory spot, which is MUFT, Museu de Favela, another community-based museum. Um, and as a result of this exercise of sort of colonial authority or tutelage that was still being reproduced by experts or agents of the state, the separation between subjects and objects in the social museum are sometimes still sustained in many of these practices. So this relation, actually, it is persecuted in museum practice until our days. But societies, in fact, are much more complex than this, as reality will show. How can we define subjects and objects in favela museums or in community museums where these categories are constantly being subverted? Subjects and objects are actually plural and are constantly renegotiating their position in a much complex scheme, as the theoretical frameworks have been perceiving lately. For this reason, we have to consider nowadays that we should be looking at a time for dialogue. Currently, the gaze on community practice in museology allows a new openness in the discipline for new theories and methodologies that are beyond the meanders of the old and new practices based on Eurocentric models. Here is an exhibition, an indigenous exhibition, uh, with an indigenous curatorship based on a traditional museum in Rio de Janeiro. The work of community museums produces hybrid narratives that transform the nostalgic past of communities, the history and the memory of the vanquished, and dislocate the historic present by creating other memories and histories, other relations to time and continuity that allow subaltern subjects to be recognized as actors in the preservation of cultural heritage. Even though museum self-determination and the self-definition of cultural heritage have proven to be challenging for those in the boundaries of the dominant heritage regimes, the new engagement of community leaders and cultural activists propose a superposition of the object and subject roles in the safeguard processes, as you can see in the example of the first indigenous museum to be created in Brazil in the 90s. Museu Maguta. Such a superposition distances museology from the study of relations between men and reality that state the artificial separation between persons and things or persons placed in the role of things. In this sense, we can look at these experimental museologies or experimental practices in, in a more open and dialogic way. This is, for instance, 
Museu Sankofa in Rocinha, which is based in an experience that has become uh, very fundamental to social museology, developed since the 70s in a collaborative process between academics, uh, local agents, and community members. The community regimes thus search for the corrosion of sedimented authorities against unilateral time. Their goal is to retell their own time according to the subjective experience of duration in its sensitive and shared perception within the group, a duration that needs to be narrated in first person in order to be retold. It is another museum that is also narrated in first person, Museum of Removals, which is based in a community of endangered, endangered habitants of uh, a part of Rio de Janeiro that has been threatened by state removal since 2016. Based on this experience, what we could uh, consider is that what is known as heritage from the community perspective is requalified as community heritage or contested heritage, thus crossing different times and sensibilities that make the community a platform for another time built through the negotiated revision of the past in the present. Now, reaching some conclusions, we could say that museums in the margins, either in the so-called Global South or in the subaltern experiences of museums in the periphery of richer countries in the North, are today a force to be reckoned with in the decolonization of museology. With their own interpretation of time and of their past, these communities defy the particular conception of time from an industrializing and colonizing West based on the ideas of progress improvement and development that were inherited from European philosophy and are still instrumental to theoretical museology. The experiences I used to illustrate this presentation are constantly challenging the values recognized in the dominant institutions and they call attention to the fact that the Western relation to continuity that defines a universal time divided the world in terms of civilized people or developed societies and the other is no longer useful to the definition of communities and community museums as parts of museology subjects of analysis. Today, we can see that the Eco Museum and community museums in general haven't changed the colonial foundations of museology. New museology hasn't solved the central problem of material inequalities enrooted in colonialism and reproduced through global capitalism until the present. As it was made clear in the context of COVID-19 pandemic, museums in the former colonies, and particularly community museums, are the first ones to have their activities interrupted for lack of resources. While museum directors and professionals from major institutions work from home or have governmental support to keep their institutions going, community leaders and community museum professionals are forced to prioritize other forms of work to generate income in a period of global crisis marked by the unequal redistribution of vulnerabilities. Maybe in 2020, museums and museology have reached the beginning of a new time, a time for decolonization. Obrigado, thank you very much.
Thank you, Bruno. That was that was that was great. And just as a note to everybody in the audience, we are going to um, we're not going to do a question and answer session for the keynote speakers. Uh, so we are going to jump straight over to Jesse Riker Crawford here in just a sec. As soon as I switch over the uh, slide decks here, just one sec. So Bruno, thank you. You can turn off your uh, webcam and your microphone, and we'll see you again later. <laughs> Okay, so we are all ready to go here. We're going to go move on to our next keynote speaker. Our next speaker is Jesse Riker Crawford. Jesse received her PhD in Sociocultural Anthropology in 2017 and is currently an associate professor in the Museum Studies Department at the Institute of American Indian Arts at the University of Washington. She has presented her work at numerous conferences and is a board member for the Journal of Museums and Social Issues. She also acts as a consultant for various museums and cultural centers across the U.S. So thank you for joining us today, Jesse. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? Good. Okay. Um, Bonjour. Um, I'd like to first introduce myself um, in my language, if I may. Nien Jesse Riker Crawford, Indishnikaz, Minwa Anishinaabe. Minwa ga wabawaganakag, ishgonigan nenojaba, meng nedodam. Whoop, where'd I go? Can you see me? I think we just need you to restart your video or your webcam. Sorry about that. That's okay. Yes. There we go. Thank you. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, so, greetings. My name is Jesse Riker Crawford. I am Chippewa or Anishinaabe. And I'm of the White Earth Chippewa Nation, and I am of the Loon Clan. Um, the Institute of American Indian Arts is actually um, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I graduated from the University of Washington, but I teach at um, IAIA at this time. Um, I would like to start off by um, acknowledging the indigenous peoples of New Hampshire, the Abenaki, the Maliseet, the Mi'kmaq, the Passamaquoddy, the Penobscot, and the Penacook Nations. And those who traditionally um, include New Hampshire lands as a hunting and eco-agricultural region, the Akwesasne, the Ganawagi, the Mahegan, the Nipmuc, the Pequot, the Scaticook, and the Wampanoag Nations. If I have overlooked any tribal nations in my acknowledgment, I do beg your forgiveness. I would also like to acknowledge the International Committee for Museology, or ICAFOM, the United States International Council of Museums, ICOM-US, the Association of African American Museums, or the AAAM, and Southern New Hampshire University, or SNHU, and especially to Dr. Yunshun Susie Chung for all of your hard work I would like to extend gratitude to all of you for hosting this important and landmark conference 
miigwech. Thank you, Robert Dunning, uh, for your opening remarks. And very heartfelt thank you to Bruno Brula Soros for sharing with us your presentation on theoretical museology and community practice, redefining museology through community-based museology, and your rich community. Ahau. If you are not used to Native American introductions and acknowledgments, the beginning of my presentation may seem a little long. Um, but there is a reason that we take time to acknowledge and honor those who have brought us to the place where we now stand. It is a way to be humble and to remember that none of us stand alone in this place that we call now. Introductions and acknowledgments ground us in the fact that everything that we do is collaborative and a collaborative activity. And it is good to acknowledge who we can when we can. Those of us in the muse museum field owe our livelihoods and the richness of our professions to others, past museum professionals, the peoples of our own and other cultures. We are, though, much more than simply stewards of inanimate objects that are held within our collections. We are also servants of the cultures and communities from which we gather knowledge insight, and both professional and personal enlightenment from. For we are here to help share the stories that have been for so many years silenced, miscommunicated, disfigured, and misapprehended. For as we all know, it is a fact that we can open any publication on the tangible and intangible heritage of other peoples and find a myriad of inaccurate and derogatory descriptions, or worse, the exposing of sacred ceremonial knowledge that, because it is now in print, is presented far out of context from the knowledge systems from which, which they emerge. We know that it is a fact that we can, unfortunately, walk into the storage systems of our institutions and find elder objects that should never have found their way there, and exhibit halls that are presenting material culture that was never meant to be placed on view. These facts have a great deal to do with anthropological, archaeological, and museological theories, and hence practices um, that have been in place for hundreds of years. For theories lead to practice, and sound, healthy, inclusionary, and beneficial theories lead to sound, healthy, inclusionary, and beneficial practices. However, new critical conversations are emerging across these disciplines of ours and others. We cannot deny that the field of museology originated from colonial theories and practices, theories that have been skewed, grounded in presumptions that some cultures are higher on the evolutionary scale, while others are less than. In the words of one of my students, Alison Guzman, she states, here we are today, centuries later, readjusting the museum model to address indigenous community needs and values 
so that we may self-represent ourselves and manage our own cultural patrimony. Arthur Amiot, an Oglala, Oglala, I'm sorry, Oglala Lakota artist and educator, spoke of Native American art, but his words resonate when referring to all objects of cultural value, and he states, the American Indian has tenaciously held on to their arts, not in the sense of object alone, but rather as a fabric that binds and holds together many dimensions of our very existence. The arts to us an expression of the integrated forces that tie together and unify all aspects of life. The Native American artist is therefore the eyes, ears, and voice of their own age. More than that, they are a personal record, which is the partial repository or the encyclopedia of our oral traditions. As Native American people, we find ourselves deconstructing colonial identities as we negotiate the cultural self in today's world. We are attempting, no, actively undertaking new ways of presenting identity and cultural continuity as expressed through museum institutions. The collecting of, holding of, and exhibiting of our culture through the presentations and discussions surrounding our tangible and intangible cultural heritage. Social, historical, and political issues are still waiting to be articulated and analyzed, incorporating critical anthropology and theoretical approaches to visual discourse and the politics of representation via our objects. In an attempt to formulate new ways of thinking about issues of concern to the indigenous peoples of North America and globally, Shared ethnographical approaches and inclusionary research methods are required to be utilized and embraced. Uh, for my students of museology who are listening, I apologize um, for they've heard this for a number of times now. Um, I want to share with you, where's my page? There we go. A tribal community uh, reached out to us uh, at the Institute of American Inner Arts Museum Studies program wanting to create a number of mini exhibits about their community. Um, following the methods of collaborative curation as we do, uh, both faculty and students worked with tribal leaders to put in place a community gathering to discuss possible exhibit themes. Um, an announcement was sent out to the community as a whole, and we asked tribal members who, in their community, could be um, contracted to prepare a meal that included traditional foods, so that we could first sit down and eat together having a meal. This is an important traditional meeting methodology, to sit down and eat together. The New Mexico History Museum and the Maxwell Museum of Anthropology had given the tribe full access to their archival collections of images that they held on the community, over 300 high-resolution images. 
We prepared a slideshow in the hopes that the imagery would help to uh, stimulate exhibit ideas. The gathering included youth and elders, council members, and language holders. We began to describe the steps that we follow when we build exhibits, from bouncing off ideas to conducting further research, to choosing objects or images, to producing exhibit text. We showed a few examples and then we began the slideshow. The slideshow was imperative. Slowly, discussions among the community members arose with requests to return to sent, uh, certain images and to pause the slideshow at other places. The discussions moved into the tribal language, and we respectfully remained silent while discussions were held. We were very aware that when the discussions moved back into English, it was to include us, faculty, and students from other tribes. The information that came out of those discussions were invaluable. First off, a number of slides were backwards. Having been made on glass plates from as early as 1800s, the photographer had written on the back of the slide away from the emulsion. So dancers were shown holding objects in the incorrect hands, and ceremonial kiva were shown backwards. This was something that we could share with the museums themselves to um, share information so that things could be made right. The second thing that emerged was a deep discussion about peach trees that once surrounded the community plaza. Um, so this is a topic that we would have never thought of. Uh, elders remembered those trees that were long since gone, and a discussion of why they no longer existed be began between the youth and the elders. A consensus was made that they had disappeared during the 1930s when forced governmental housing dictated that houses built for tribal members be built away from the communal plaza and traditional adobe living structures were replaced instead with wooden structures and they were placed on the lands that were forcibly allotted to each family. Elders were adamant that at some point a large permanent exhibit be produced about the importance of those peach trees to the community. The story highlights many things, as stories often do. It helps us to realize and opens up for us the possibilities of curatorial venues that could have not been thought up by outsiders of the communities themselves. Further research on 1930s-era HUD housing or U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development housing projects and their impact on traditional lifeways of 1600-era's migration of Spain's peoples into the Southwest and both the stories of forced colonization but also of resilience of native peoples and integration of important food crops and fruit trees of changing times that are remembered by the elders of a community. It also highlights that we as curators, collection managers, and museum professionals, 
We have a plethora of stories in front of us that we can help share if we understand that we are still holding on to decades-old theories and methodologies of doing museology that we may subconsciously be still holding on to. This story highlights what can emerge when research methodologies and curatorial theoretics are deeply ingrained with the ethics of careful and mindful methods of collaboration, that through these ethical methods, what is yet to be explored is how Native American culture is multifaceted with internal discourses that are waiting to be shared with outside communities and other cultures as well as within, which can resonate and add to our overall celebration of humanity. I say multifaceted because these stories of self reflect comparable as well as opposing historical, political, and philosophical Native backgrounds. The negotiation of Native American identity operates on many different levels and includes diverse Native perspectives and discursive voices. What is left to be presented in museums and the stories that they help share is an ethnographical approach to curation as an indigenous discourse on Native identity itself, reflecting an internal maneuvering and often dialectical response to colonial pressures, both historical and contemporary. Let's not forget to include contemporary Native American artwork, which oftentimes addresses cultural, social, and political issues that are of relevance and concern to Native communities today that illustrate an intercultural representation of a Native American cultural identity. For our art is a visual discourse that does not reflect a homogeneous presentation of Native identity, but rather speaks of unique cultural histories and experiences and pushes back against the stereotypical labels generated outside of Native American communities. For those stereotypes often force Native individuals to politically and ideologically align themselves to arbitrary categories of traditional versus modern Native identity, a fact that many contemporary Native artists are painfully aware of. This underlining underlying crisis of representation is woven into and throughout contemporary Native American art in various ways, exposing an internal discourse that is at times fragmented and controversial, yet rich in dialogue, which is what we are interested in this educational field of ours of museology. Through the ways that we conduct our museological practices, our collecting, our exhibiting, and our presentation of Native American cultures, we can help answer the questions we as Native American people are struggling with. How does tradition play within a modern Native identity? How is cultural identity currently being negotiated and redefined? What experiences have diverse Native American peoples shared throughout the post-contact period? What can we say 
about our collective historical experience, as well as our distinctive culture experiences. It is these questions that are most often explored internally and at varying degrees within our communities. They echo a discourse that has been in place since initial European contact and conquest, and they encompass much broader topicals, uh, topics of social crisis, assimilation, loss, retainment of culture, power relations, and redefinement of self, all set within specific historical contexts and movements. Age-old theorems and hence practices have worked to silence stories that are begging to be told. We follow those skewed theories without meaning to, for they're the way that things have always been done. Going into a community and slowly, slowly making strong ties and listening carefully without dictating how long that may take or what direction that may go can be uncomfortable, for we are not taught methods that work, but they are out there. Collaborative models of research, indigenous curatorial methods and practices, indigenous research methodologies, these are tools that are being disseminated by indigenous professionals and knowledge holders themselves. They reflect a shift in power play and all lay the expertise in the hands of the communities themselves rather than in the hands of the researcher, the collector, the museum professional, as it should be. Let's take our responsibility as stewards and servants to others seriously. Let's break away from the theories that we are the experts. Let's open up the possibilities of aiding in stories waiting to be told, which cannot possibly originate from us. In this way, our coffers of collection holdings, the exhibits, can reflect the needs, wants, and values of the originating communities of which we hold and act as cultural stewards and servants for. Whoever that community is, tribal, ethnic, underrepresented, or mainstream. Miigwech. All right, thank you, Jesse. Okay, so that wraps up our keynote addresses. Thank you to Bruno and Jesse for joining us today and helping to launch this symposium. Jesse, you can turn off your microphone and your webcam if you like. We are going to break for lunch here in just a few minutes. Well, lunch for those of us in the Eastern U.S. time zone. For the rest of you, I, you know, this is a break time. So. What we're going to do is, like I mentioned before, we're not doing any, going to hold a Q&A session for the keynote speakers, but if you do have questions or comments for the keynote speakers, please contact myself or Susie, and we'll be happy to get you in touch with Bruno or Jesse for uh, further discussions. Uh, for now, I am going to reopen the chat box that was closed before, uh, so if you feel like chatting during the break, that's uh, you're welcome to do that. And uh, I'm going to stop the recording for now. Uh, we will pick up again at 1 o'clock, sorry, 12.30 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time, so in about 36 minutes. So uh, stay tuned, take a break, and we will talk to you again soon. Thank you for coming, and thank you to again to Bruno and Jesse for talking to us this morning.